Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. Bibles there. Turning them to Jeremiah chapter 34. And we're going to look at a couple of chapters tonight. And I think God has a word for us. It's been ministering to me uh, yesterday, Monday morning, I woke up early, uh, just spent some time re reading these passages. And then yesterday and today, just thinking about what God would have to say to me. And he's speaking to my heart for sure. So you think of the life that he's going to bring, we're going to see out of this, uh, these two chapters, we're going to see a a life of obedience, what it looks like. We know what rebellion is. Uh, we know what, uh, you know, Judah and Israel and all that. We know what they've done. We know that how they live their lives. And quite frankly, we've probably done enough of that ourselves at times, right? And so we, we know what the rebellion is. And so that simple obedience, what's that like? And so we'll look at what God says about Judah, what he says to Zedekiah. And he reminds him of the covenant. He reminds him of the importance of the covenant. And then he'll look at the Rechabites tonight. And we'll look at their lives just briefly to get a glimpse of some application for us as far as what the Lord has for us. So tonight, verse uh, chapter 34, uh, remember in this time, these aren't chronological. They're more dr drawn out by themes. And so the theme of what's taking place in 34, chapter 35, so we'll go from Zedekiah into a time where he talks about uh, Josiah, king of Judah. So that Josiah was before Zedekiah. So again, he's drawing the theme. He's telling us the, the, of the things that are happening. And, you know, we think about a time when all the armies have surrounded Jerusalem. And, you know, you're looking over the city walls and you might look out there and you think, from the north to the southeast and the west, we're surrounded. What are we going to do? There is literally no hope. And I don't know what that does for you, but when you see the score is 48 to nothing with two minutes left in the fourth quarter, a lot of people have already left the game. You know, it's, the game's over. But uh, there's, you know, there's this time to where there, there isn't a sign of hope for the residents of Jerusalem. And these events, again, they're just they're, they're prior to this massive invasion and I say massive because we'll see how big it really is. Where ne Nehemiah, or excuse me, Nebuchadnezzar is going to strike Israel relentless. He's just going to come after them, and it's going to be like never before. It's like he's had these strikes uh, to them, but this is going to be a part to where he's going to totally destroy the city. And, and, and with, with this thrust of ambition, the zeal, this hatred, whatever it might be that he has stirring in him. And it's going to be of a magnitude of a force of armies that we'll, we'll see mentioned in here. So here's a warning to Zedekiah, beginning in chapter 34, verse 1. It says, Then the word, uh, the, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdom of the earth, under his dominion. Now you got to remember that this is, these are the ones that who, even who Babylon has taken captive. They're, they're serving with him. The Assyrians, the uh, Egyptians. There's just a lot of people that he's, you know, brought in captive. And they're, now they're on his side. They're being used as a stool. So it's gone from a little, a little wave to this massive wave of people, you know, that's going to come against Jerusalem. And it says, And all the people fought against Jerusalem 
in all its cities, saying, and now listen, just hang on for a second, because again, not just a small group of people. This is a huge group of people. It isn't just one-on-one. It isn't a kingdom, you know, like one-on-one, hey, I'll try and take you. It's not about that. Zedekiah doesn't have a hope. And he's looking out and he sees the wave of people. It's like, where are these people coming from? And so King Nebuchadnezzar has this array of army, these soldiers that are out there. And they're from all over the place. All of those nations that are in his realm at his dispense, he has gathered for this purpose to come against Jerusalem. So this is like a no contest battle. There's not any hope here. And it's like, I'm going to prove myself, you know. He's got his buddies He's got his he's got his his buddies with him. He's coming after you, and there's not a hope around. And so he's coming with vengeance. So again, even Babylon at this time they were a dominating comp, uh, country. They 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 were in the power. They were the world power, and none really stood up against them. So here you have this time to where now not only are they supreme in authority, but they also have God's authority and His approval to be used. Um, as his chastening rod. So it's like, here you have this wave of people coming at you. They're mighty already. And you got the hand of God that is just saying, okay, I'm going to have you do this. So free, it's a, you know, you, God's not going to get in the way of it. Verse two, he says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, thus says the Lord, behold, I will, and he, he certainly will, the Lord will, give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from his hand. But surely you shall be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. So this isn't the message that Zedekiah wanted to hear. But it is the message that he has been hearing. Uh, the very reason why uh, Jeremiah is in prison is because he had been faithful about preaching this message to the king. The king kept saying, look, it changed your message. And he said, look, this is the message God has for you. I, I don't serve you. Are you serving the Lord? And the Lord has given him this message. So about, you know, it's a, he's being faithful. Jeremiah is being faithful. That's what got him into prison. And even though Zedekiah may try and flee this invasion, and he will, he's not going to be able to escape. He's not going to be able to escape the hands of King Nebi. He's not going to be able to do that. And he's going to be required to meet him face to face, just as God had said. And there's going to be, he's going to be judged there in the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar for his rebellion. Look at verse 4. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. So this is any consolation, Zedekiah. You're not going to die by the sword. <laughs> But I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to his life in a moment, so I don't know. I just say, take me, you know, if you would. And he shall, he says in verse 5, you shall die in peace, as in the ceremony of your fathers, the former kings uh, who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, <clears throat> says the Lord. So, you know, you think, okay, so what's going to happen to Zedekiah? Is he going to ride off on his horse and everything be hunky-dory? Well, sadly, we know that many die because of the decisions of the leaders of Israel, because they follow, as so goes the leader, so goes the country, as so go the leaders, well, I guess we know that, as so the leaders, so go the uh, business or the family, same thing. 
And Zedekiah, though he will try to flee, he's going to be captured. He's going to brought before be before Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to be judged there. He'll be pronounced judgment upon him. They're going to pluck out his eyes and they're going to uh, shackle him with bronze, uh, sh- or, yeah, with bronze shackles. So they'll bind him and they're going to send him off to Babylon. So the, what, sadly, one of the last things that he sees is he's going to be a witness to his sons being killed. How would you like to have that in your memory? Before you ever to see anything again, this is the thing you're going to see. Your sons are one of the last things you see is you get to witness your sons dying. So Zedekiah is not going to escape the, the, what God says. It's a sad outcome, but he's going to reap that to which he's sown. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's the way God has always said it. You know, you don't have to follow God, but you will reap what you sow to. And so it's a fair warning. He, he, he tells us that in his word. God is not mocked for whatever man sows that he also reap. But, you know, you think about those who, well, I'm a good person, but I don't need Jesus. Well, that doesn't work because the, the way to heaven is through the righteousness of Christ and only through that. And so everything that Jeremiah had been saying to Zedekiah is going to come to pass. And he's not going to be able to outrun or hide the chasing of God. Nobody's going to ever be able to do that. And Zedekiah is a perfect example of that. He's not going to be able to turn or duck or, you know, you know, persuade somebody to get him out of there. So get out of jail, get out of this thing free card He's going. And rebellion doesn't just cost a person. Remember that. It's just not going to cost Zedekiah. Obviously, we'll see his sons are going to die. But there's, there's people after people that'll follow, that are following his footsteps, that are believing in him, hoping that he has an answer. People that are so adamant, even today we see a lot of people putting their faith in politicians instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a truth out there, but what is it? I mean, you know, it's hard to tell, isn't it? You look out in the world today, you think, well, listen, now uh, the COVID can't, st- it's not sticking on, on um, surfaces. It's like, well, that's like, you know, chocolate's bad for you last year. My wife never believed that, by the way. But she said, you know, it's like chocolate's bad for you this year. Well, it'll be good for you next year. Just wait on it. You know, just hang on because it'll be good again. But, you know, there's, who do you believe? What do you believe? You know, there's so many deaths attributed to the COVID nowadays. Oh, is that true? And in so, some people, states, 200, I think, on the East Coast, they had to take off the COVID uh, list because they weren't really COVID related. You know, and then people that have, may have an asymptomatic, they may, uh, you know, be old and, and, and they're, 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 uh, they, were, they were limited in their time anyway. I don't know how to say it, but they were limited in their time. But it's just, who do you believe? You know, and no, nobody's going to get you out of this. In the day and age of today, we look and we see that Jesus Christ has all the answers. He's the one we need to look to. He's the one that's going to get us through this. There's nothing else out there. Get rid of the conspiracy theories. Get rid of all these, these things that are out there. Well, what about this? What about that? What about Christ? The Bible tells me that he's coming soon. <laughs> I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see, well, you know, the pressure that's coming upon me, or the pre- you know, all these, these, whatever. Jesus tells me he's coming soon. So that, that kind of trumps out any fear or any, you know, scare or anything that, they, that we see the world going through. It's like, wait, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And we never stop trusting in the Lord. It's not the way it should be. So rebellion, it never just costs a person. It, costs, it just has this trickle effect to where it goes through families. 
And it implicates many others, you know, who could have been saved from this disastrous outcome. I think of the world today. People are so messed up with what's going on, and rightfully so. There's a, there's a you know, it's a real deal, the COVID thing. It's a real deal. Let's just be smart about it. Let's not trip out. Let's not get all fearful about all this stuff. And let's just have common sense, and let's just, uh, you know, get to the Word of God, and let's just trust in God's Word and see what He says. So listen, this, at this point, Jeremiah or Zedekiah isn't going to be able to duck what, what's coming to them. What's coming to him? He's not going to be able to dug it. He's not going to hide from it, run from it. When God says that, settles it. So I like that there is a supreme authority in the world today. And that's Jesus Christ. It's the Bible. I love that there is a supreme authority that Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through him. That's supreme authority. I love it. Look at verse 6. And Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah and Jerusalem. And when the king of Babylon's uh, Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against uh, Latius and Azekah. Uh, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. And if I remember correctly, I think there was 49 in Providence. 49, you know, cities to begin with. Now there's two. This is how much they've been ravished. So all the other cities had fallen. You have two remaining. According to some Bible scholars, what's interesting is there is a piece of clay that was uncovered in the ruins of Lachish. Uh, in, in, uh, it's, it says it was attached to a, a gold picture. Uh, well, it's, it is a gold picture, excuse me, of, of Judah's precarious position. The letter was written to a commander uh, at Lachish from the, from the outpost that was close enough to Lachish and Azekah, the two cities that remain, to see signal fires from both cities. Evidently, Azekah had just fallen because the officer wrote, quote, I let my Lord know that we are watching for the signals of Lachish according to all the in indications which my Lord hath given, for we cannot see Azekah. And so, end quote. So you see that they're, they're, they're finding these things out about these two cities. There's no, this is no like, um, well, story to be made up. Man, there's history and documentation. They're finding this stuff out. It's just incredible to see. And so here you have this time where you, you're, you're Jeremiah speaking to Zedekiah. And then here's Zedekiah. He tries to make this kind of this deal, if you will, to get out of the situation he's in. In verse 8 he says, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Zedekiah made a covenant. Here's what he's trying to do. Guy's trying to scrap his goods, man. <laughs> trying to make a covenant, made a covenant with all the people who are in Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them, and that every man should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, and that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should be set free, his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. So here's the thing. Now that Zedekiah realizes that God's right and what Jeremiah had been saying is going to come to pass, there's no doubt about it. Everything's going to come to true. He thinks, well, let me just make a deal. Let's, let's revert back to the way it should have been all along. Let's give our slaves back to the way they are, hoping the Lord would relent, right? Let's let our people go. 
And he's thinking that this move is going to cure his rebellion. It's a big error on our, all of our parts whenever we think that we can do something to make God happy in the sense of, you know, getting right with him. And so you have this thing that, you know, Zedekiah wants to take things into his own hands and do some things that, you know, should have, should have never really been done before. They shouldn't have had, you know, now he's thinking, well, now I'll do the right things. And, and some people do that. Backsliders will do that. Instead of coming to Jesus and laying their lives down at the foot of the cross, what they'll do is they'll try and work their way back to him. Well, let me try and do these things. Let me, you know, well, I know I need to get better at prayer. I know I need to get in church more. I know I need to, and they'll start doing these little things. And you can't do those things. I mean, you know, it's your, it's your works. And Zedekiah is, you know, the, the thing that he should do is repent. And that's what any backslider, any of us need to do. He's like, repent, you're off the mark, repent, right? And so he thinks that his cure to his rebellion is going to be what he can do. It's like saying, okay, I guess uh, I give in when the trouble awaits, you know, I give in, I'll have, you can have it your way. It's like calling uncle, 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 you know. So it seems here that Zedekiah is wanting to let the slaves go. But you got to remember something. They were in direct violation of what God's word has said the whole time. They were taking advantage of these people, their brothers, their sisters. They're taking advantage of them. The law was they were supposed to live with them for six years and be set free on the seventh year. And if they wanted to live there, you know, if you moved into and, and served a king, or served a, uh, you, you, you were a slave and you signed up for it and you met and married a gal there and you thought, man, this is the most wonderful place I'd ever be. And you wanted to just stay there and say, I, I just love the situation I'm in. I have a wife here. I have children here. We're just not going to move. Then they would take your ear, put it to the doorway and put an, uh, uh, an awl in it and put that thing right, right through there and put a ring in there, and that would signify that you have chosen to be a slave of that uh, master freely. So this serving for six and the seventh year going free, that was in Deuteronomy. Let me read you in Exodus 21. It says, uh, now these are the judgments which you shall set before them. If you buy a Hebrew slave, you shall, uh, he shall serve six years in the seventh year. He shall go free and pay nothing. And if he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he comes in married, then he shall go, uh, his wife shall go out with him. If his master has given him a wife, then she has born sons and daughters, and the wife, uh, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, uh, I love my master, my wife, my children, I go out free, then his master shall bring him uh, to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an owl, and... Uh, he shall serve him forever. It's like happy. I'm content here. You know, this is where I want to be. It's like what bond servants would do for Jesus. I'm just so happy to be in the house of God. So happy to be in the family of God. So happy to be here. But you know, just pierce me. Take me to the doorway, Lord. Take me. And pierce me because I want to serve you forever and I don't ever want to go away. And so the problem is that the slave owners had gotten the slaves and they weren't letting them go. And they were capitalizing on this stuff until now it seems that they've, um, you know, getting out of the trouble might be the answer to let them go. So again, is Zedekiah thinking that I, I, I got a plan, you know, I got a plan, let's make a deal. 
And we know that doing things wrong and coming up, uh, coming to the realization of it, we know that repentance is key. It's like doing things. I don't know, I just feel like that's a word for somebody that's out there. You've been trying to do things to get right with God. You want to make God happy? No, no, no. Just repent. Drop it. Flee. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing. And, and repent. I mean, turn. Turn from wherever you're at and run in the opposite direction towards the Lord. See, Zedekiah feels as if he let the people, uh, the slaves go, that, you know, he would be uh, a good deed done and this, he would be known as this heroic deed and, you know, everything was safety. But it doesn't happen that way. Look at verse 11. There's that three-letter word, but. But afterward, they changed their minds and they made the slaves, uh, they made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into the subjection as male and female slaves. At the end of this chapter, we'll see that Babylon was knocking at the door of the city from the north. But what had happened is they're thinking that, well, here come the Egyptians from the south. So, the, you know, they get these slaves, they're going to let them go. And all of a sudden, oh, the Egyptians are here to help us out. Why don't you guys come back here? You know, we're not going to really let you go. They changed their mind. They thought Egypt was coming to help them out, but they weren't there to help them out. Again, they're trusting in man instead of the Lord. And they're thinking that man's going to even get them out of the, the way of, of, man can't help. I mean, you know, man, man muddies up the water sometimes. I muddy up the water trying to help people sometimes. I don't know how to tell it any better to people, but get on your knees. Pray. Cry out to God. If you're in a situation, I mean, you can come to me. I want to tell you the same thing. Listen, God's there to answer. Can I help you? Yeah, but if he sends me to, if he, he says, you go see Pastor Al. I want to be there for you. But make sure that you've got holes in the pants of your knees that you've been praying first. Because I'm not God. And yes, the church can help and we want to help. We want to be there. But in reality, we have to become uh, dependent upon Jesus. We have to become dependent upon him. You know, so some of us were talking um, earlier this week about, you know, in the church, and we were talking about, uh, you know, all the, the help that the church gives. And you want to be a I mean, church wants to be there to help. You need to be there to help. But unfortunately, there's people that are, they call them sponges. That's all they do. They just soak up whatever they can until they dry out, and they go to another church, soak up whatever they can, and they dry out. Listen, become Christ-dependent, not church-dependent. Church is good. I love church. I can't wait to get back together. I can't wait until we gather together, until we're able to break bread together, until we're able to sing and worship our Lord together. I can't wait. But I want us to be Jesus-dependent. Even now, we're Jesus-dependent, that he's there with us. You know, it's one of the things the Lord reminds me of. My heart grieves over this, you know, being away. And uh, the Lord reminds me, I, I'm the great shepherd. Those who belong to me, I've got. And I'm so thankful for that. Nobody can snatch them out of his hands, so we're in safekeeping right there. So we have this thing to where here Zedekiah is thinking that Egypt was going to come and rescue them. And so, well, I'm going to renege on what I, what I said I'm going to do. Get back in here, you bunch of slaves, and get, you know... And then God reminds him of the covenant. Listen in verse 12, he says, Therefore the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, 
Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Listen, God is saying, I, he's reminding you, I brought them out. Remember that. When they were in Egypt, I brought them out. I was the one that delivered them. They couldn't leave if it wasn't by me. They had no power, no strength. It was I who produced some miracles to get them out of there. I, you know, gave them that pillar of fire, I, or the, the cloud and the fire. I gave them. I gave them protection. I gave them direction. I moved with them. Even in their rebellion, say, I did never left them. I parted the sea. I pushed the sea back on the, on the uh, soldiers that were after them. I did all of this. So he's saying, well, you know, you got to remember something. I delivered them, and here you are putting them in bondage. That's something. I mean, this was God's heart for the people. Even the less fortunate, they're not to be taken advantage of. God created them. You know, we got to look at people. And I, I tell you this, to be praying for people, we're to pray for those in, in authority over us in, in, in our land, our governors, president, vice president, mayors, just praying for them. We need to pray for them. They need our prayers. They need to know that the church is living out a biblical life and they're praying for them because that's what the Bible says. You want to live a peaceable life? Pray for those who are in authority. And so here's Zedekiah. He's taking advantage of the situation. God reminds him, you know, you got to remember something, pal. I brought you. I brought these people out of here. I delivered them from bondage, and here they are once again back in it, and it's by your hands they're back in it. Look at verse 14. At the end of seven years, let every man be set, uh, set free his Hebrew brother. Again, they weren't supposed to take advantage of them. Who has, who has sold him, and when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free. Or you, sh you shall let, let him go free from you. This is God's heart. God's heart is not for people, God's people, to be in bondage. And especially when they come to serve God's people with God's people. We're not to take advantage of one another. God set us free. If we're to help somebody out, they do work for you, whatever the case may be. But don't take advantage of them. But your fathers did not obey nor incline their ear. Then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight. Every man proclaimed liberty to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house of, that is called, which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned my name, and every one of you brought back his male and female servants, whom he had set at liberty at their pleasure, and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female servants. Listen, God calls Zedekiah out on this reneging. You said in my house that you were going to let these people go. And all of a sudden, things, for whatever reason, and it, there is no reason that's going to justify it. But all, all of a sudden that, you know, he's reneging and God's calling him out on it. You know, you're, you're, you're bringing the people back. You see, because of the the... Babylon's attack, the leaders finally wanted to do what was right, granting freedom to their countrymen. You know, oh yeah, well, we're going to grant you freedom, we'll let you go. But by rescinding the promise, they profaned God's name, his reputation. They were, in, they were uh, made a covenant before the, before the God and in the temple. Oh yeah, we're going to do all this. It's all hunky-dory. We're all wonderful. And in verse 17, it says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty. Everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord. 
to the sword, to pestilence, and, and to famine. And I will, again, this is the Lord's word, deliver you to trouble amongst all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give the men whom, uh, who, who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, When they cut the calf in two and pass between the, uh, the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people in the land who pass between the parts of the calf. In doing this, they were signifying a covenant. We'll talk about it in a minute. But they had broken their deal of it. Verse 20, And I will give them into the hands of, the, of their enemies and into the hands of those who seek their lives. Their dead bodies shall be for meat and the birds for the birds of the heavens and the beasts of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hands of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and uh, cause them to return to the city. They will fight against me, or they will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah's a desolation uh, without inhabitant. And so God reminds them, yes, I not only did I deliver them, but then there was a covenant that they made. And the way they would make a covenant in these days is they would take an animal. Well, today we would sign a contract, right? Think about signing a contract, we use ink and pen, docu-sign, whatever the case may be. And if you and I break that covenant, we have to go to the court or, you know, we'll decide with the court or jury whether we're guilty or innocent, the outcome, the penalties, and all that stuff. But a covenant in these days was two animals. You, you split it in half. And the people that would walk through the animals would say, you know what, they're signing a covenant, they're ratifying their agreement that this is going to be what uh, the covenant is. That if we don't uphold this covenant, we're going to be like this dead animal that we're passing through. That's a pretty serious signature there. Remember, it used to be, I don't know, it's probably a very long time now, where handshakes used to be valid. But now it's signature. It's like pinky swears, <laughs> whatever, you know. You got to really swear. You got to tell me, you got to tell me, tell me. You need co-signers and collateral and all this stuff. Nobody, you don't trust you for nothing. But in this part, if you walk through the part of two, two animals, you were saying that my life, if I ever turn back on this, I will be as these two, this animal, these two parts split in half. And so you break that covenant, they would be as the, the two parts of the animal, cut in pieces. They would sense they would be died by the sword. They would signify their signing of the death by the sword. And so because Judah had not lived up to their end of the deal with the Lord, he was going to deliver them to the sword. And their bodies would be scattered for bird food and beast food. It's the way it is. The beasts of the earth are gonna, we're going to partake. The birds of the air, we're going to partake of them. And so this is a picture of, of total disobedience. This is the reward of what, you, what they were getting. The consequences were ignored. They lived life the way they were just going to live them. They didn't care. They didn't, have a, a, they didn't seem to have a leg to stand on. They, they just didn't give a rip. And this is what happens. It doesn't matter how big you are in the company, how much money you have, how profitable you are, how, much, how high you are thinking it doesn't phase you. It doesn't matter. Because God's word will always come to pass. 
And so now the Lord leads them, you know, speaking of Judah and Zedekiah, into a picture of true obedience. He, he shows them, and, and the way this is written out in chapters 34 and 35, your total disobedience, but he wants to show them this picture of great obedience. And so this is an interesting contrast. And it should be an embarrassment to Judah. Look, look, I want to share with you something. And I think this part has so much application for the church today, for you and I. So this chapter is just simply simple obedience, right? Beginning in verse 1, chapter 35. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim. You can see this is not chronological now. Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. And this was kind of a setup, but in a way, you know what? Um, it was to make a very important point. God knew what he was doing. And then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, uh, his brother, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. Now, let's just hold on for a minute. What are these Rechabites? Who are the Rechabites? Well, we first get a picture of them. We know that they're a descendant from the Kenites. Judges chapter 16 tells us that Moses married a Kenite woman. And uh, they, they were these people that lived a Bedouin lifestyle. They were travelers, tents, packing in, packing out. They packed it wherever they went. And so they didn't build homes. They didn't, it, was, it was tenting, not glamping. It was tent camping. <laughs> and so they lived, they lived a simple life, a very simple life. They still do to this day. But they came in, uh, when they came in contact with Moses, they fell in love with his God. Moses would follow the Lord. And so as time went on, they continued to live this simple life. You know, it was this life of just uh, the, the non, I mean, the, the essentials weren't, weren't really that many. It was a very easy life. But they saw compromise coming out of all these traditional leaders, you know, the religious leaders. And it was just crazy. So they ended up um, being inspired by Jonadab who was an associate of Jehu, and it's interesting because being an associate of Jehu, who was in, in a, this violent, radical purge to cleanse the house of Ahab, which was a demonic house, and he was bringing life free of idolatry, free of its associations, free of the corruption of city life. He didn't want any of this stuff. And remembering he, uh, he, he even brought the prophets of Baal, all of them deceitfully together. Before he got him by the sword, he slayed them all. So, you know, seeing what they liked in Jonadab, the Rechabites followed his plan. They said, you know, how do we like this guy? He's got a plan. It's a simple life. It's a simple life. We live in, you know, Bedouin community. We travel around. There's no homes, no drinking. Kind of like the Nazarite vow. It was very simple. They were shepherds. They took care of the animals. So they would go from place to place. You could see them out there going to Israel today, and Lord willing, if we go in November. And so they were a dedicated people to live in this world as if the world meant little or nothing to them. They were of the opinion, it seemed, the way they lived, that they couldn't take anything with them. So why invest too much into it? And so they, they still live in tents to this day. It's kind of funny. Uh, Israel had built houses for them. And we need to get you guys out of tents. We're going to build houses for you. So what they did was they moved the animals in the houses. They stayed in the tents. 
They don't, they, you know, I don't want any part of this stuff. There's a compromise, they feel. But some of them today, you can see them driving Mercedes. And if you look at their tent real close, they'll have a Honda generator out there. And they got antennas from their TVs. They got this stuff out there. But they're to live this simple life. And they wanted to live this simple life. Here's the example of that simple life on display. Look at verse 4. Then I took Jezaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers, and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites. And I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the chamber of the son of Hanan, the son of Igdala, uh, the man, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes, above the chamber of Masiah, the son of Shalom, uh, the keeper of the door. And then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups and said to them, drink wine. So here you have it. Zedekiah is looking at this scene. He sees these Bedouins coming into the land or into the city, wondering what they're doing there. We'll find out they're afraid of the Babylonian entourage. They don't know what to do. Maybe they can find some refuge in, in, inside the city with the king, but they're finding out, oh, that guy's corrupt. They're coming after him. We're out of here. But the whole scene is something uh, to be remembered. The people of Israel, uh, Judah, had been told over and over again that they were headed for trouble, right? They hadn't listened to the Lord and his servants, the prophets. They had been there for years and years and years, bringing forth the word of God. They hadn't listened to them. And they had long rejected what God had been telling them. So this simple display of obedience is a great picture, you have these people, you know, seeing that they're standing before the king. They're standing before Zedekiah. Total contrast. Again, the Judaizers, the King Zedekiah, they had been rebellious for years. And so looking at him as an act of disobedience, again, they're in total contrast because these people, the Rechabites, lived in obedience. Now listen to their response to the temptation. Look at verse 6. But they said, we will drink no wine. <laughs> That's nada. Not a little bit. Take a little bit and see what it tastes like. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm kind of young, man. I, I never knew what it, I don't, maybe it's, maybe it's not as bad as my dad said, you know. Maybe it's not as bad. My mom, oh, they were just trying to freak me out. No, no, no. This is the real deal. They, they understood from generation to generation that this was something that you don't want to indulge in. I think I did that. I wasn't saved when I was a young kid. I started drinking, partying, doing all the bad stuff. And I go, where did that take me? My son and daughter being raised in a godly home can look at it and they can say, you know, I, you know, I, I just, I, nah. Nah. We drink, we will drink no wine. I mean, that's just where it's at, point blank. We're not going to drink that. It's right there as before. It's free. Oh, it's the top notch, top shelf, whatever they call it. No. Don't want it. We'll drink no wine for Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine, uh, you nor your sons, forever. I can't encourage my kids enough. Just look, dad's been that route. Don't go that route. You don't have to try it yourself to figure you don't like it. Let me tell you, it ruined a lot of people. I don't know any good drunks. I don't know any really good addicts. They're good people, but they're messed up. And I was one of them. And so again, while Israel and Judah were told for years and years and years to get things right, 
but the ears were closed off to the word of God. Here the Rechabites heard about reform one time, not multiple times, one time they're hearing, don't drink that, neither you nor your sons after you. Don't drink it forever. What did they do? They obeyed. Some of that. How many times do you have to be told, hey, don't go there. Don't go there. And this is, this is kind of the picture that's laid out here because if we're not careful, we want curiosity and curiosity takes over and curiosity begins to, you know, get involved. And I'm no better than anyone, you know, I'll tell you, I'll be honest with you. I'm checking myself over things. What has God told me to do? I've been doing that for the last couple of days. God, what have you told me to do that I haven't listened to because I want to do it. I don't want to procrastinate about it. I want to do it. I want to do it, whatever it is. And so Jonadab looks, looked at how, you know, Moses lived his life, wanted that for himself. I'm good with that. And this is how their lives were started. And for all this time, it was like, you know what? God's good enough. Or the, the way God was, he's good enough. I don't know whether they, what their religious thing was here. But they were outside of God at one time. They didn't know the truth. You know, Moses had it. He was enough. What he had, what God had with him, that's enough. I'll take it, you know. And Moses lived that life. He was wealthy. He didn't want what this world had. He sojourned through it. And not wanting, waiting, Abraham, waiting for that city whose makers of God. It's not for made with hands. And so this simple, obedient life, this simple life to obedience, this is the Rechabites. They were told by Jonadab, hey, don't do it. And they didn't do it. I tell it to every teen, teen, listen up. If your mom, dad, your pastor, your elders tell you don't do it, don't do it. They're not telling you because they don't like you to do it or they can't do it because they're too old to do it. They just don't want you to do it. They know the dangers there. Look at verse 7. You shall not build houses. So they never want to build houses. Sow seed, plant vineyards. Nothing wrong with that stuff. They were just told not to do it. Nor, ha nor have any of these, but all your days you shall dwell in tents that you may live many days in the land where you're sojourners. So again, they weren't to be too attached to this world. They, they, it was like they just lived this life to where, you know what, I'm not taking it with me, so why be too investing in it? And, and, you know, it's like you and I, we're sojourners. We're just passing through. I can't wait just to fly on out of here, go to heaven. And so in verse 8, he says, Thus we have obeyed the voice of Jonadab. This is the Rechabites, uh, the son of Rechab, our father. And in all that he charged us to drink no wine all the days of our, all, all of our days. We, our wives, our sons, and our daughters. Nor to build ourselves houses to dwell in. Nor do we have a vineyard, fields or, vi or uh, field or seed, but we dwell, uh, have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. So that's it. And look at you drink wine. No. Why? Because we were told not to. It's that simple. I don't have to figure it out for myself. I don't have to go that route. And again, what's on display is this lesson before Zedekiah. Look how, look how obedient they are. And, and in contrast to you, because I've sent you my word, here's my word, you have my word, but you're not listening to it. And so my servants have brought you the word, they brought it out to you, you just haven't been listening to it. But the Rechabites, what they had was this 300-year-old word from their leader, and it was good enough for them. 
But that 300-year-old leader was, was still as fresh in their hearts as it was the day they received it. You know, they had this determination. If you and I aren't determined about something, we're not going to do it. Right? You ever been on a diet? Huh. Been on a diet and you think, uh-oh, I'm not really determined. I tell my wife that all the time. I'm not really determined to do this. i got to be ready. But same thing. You, you ever fishing in the rain when it's pouring down rain, monsoon rain? You're, if you're not determined for it, I, I'm not I'm a fair weather fisherman. Golfer, same thing. He call me when it's 50 degrees out and raining. I'm like, click. I go in there, riding a bike. Yeah, you want to go on a bike race? It's raining outside. You're going to be determined for that. So I'm not that determined. You see, a great example for us is when we listen to the wisdom of Daniel. Daniel was determined. See, walking through life, no matter what situation he went into, in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, he says, But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chiefs uh, of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Look, I don't want to go that route. But I determined it in here. If I get to the point of temptation, I'm not determined. Guess what? Curiosity is going to win. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that direction. Well, let me just try. Maybe it's not the good stuff. Ooh, top shelf. Ooh, got the worm. A little mezcal, huh? Oh, yeah. Okay, let's try. You know what I mean? And we, the, the, this curiosity gets us. But so simple obedience needs to come from the heart. It is, look, at one and done, it's like, listen, I belong to Jesus. And I have to condition this heart on a daily basis. I need to be in his word. I need to be in prayer. I need to be open before him. God, help me because in and of myself, I don't have it. I need that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit in my life. I need it today, tonight before service. Lord, help me. I need that fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit. And so often we struggle over things that shouldn't even be in the picture because we have this curiosity about them. Or, well, well, no, 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 they're just saying this. Oh, they didn't really be, they didn't know any better. They just couldn't handle it, you know. I can do better. You see, the Rechabites weren't even tempted by the alcohol that was there. They weren't tempted by it. Why? Because it was determined in their heart. Look, I'm not going to do it. They stood upon their word. They let their yes be yes and their no's be no's, and that was a no. It was a no-go. I'm not going that route. See, they didn't even get tempted. They didn't let curiosity get the best of them. And they had long ago made up their minds, and they were sticking to it. Listen, if our minds aren't made up, then we're going to have trouble. We belong to the Lord. I'm going to walk with the Lord no matter what goes on, what situation in life, we're going to have better success. But if our minds aren't made up, our hearts aren't purposed to do the things of God, then we're going to be in trouble. You see, they were determined that their vow wasn't going to go to pot when somebody tempted them. Well, you know, uh, well, come on, man. It's legal now. It's legal now. Uh, yeah, you can be anything you want. Just take some of this. And it's amazing to see the things that are going on. Look at verse 11. But it came to pass, of the Rechabites, but it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to the land, he said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for the fear, this is the Rechabites saying this, for the fear of the armies of the Chaldeans and for fear of the armies of the Syrians, so we dwell at Jerusalem. So they were, they were hoping to find some safety there in the city. They find out Zedekiah isn't going to be any help. He's not even walking with the Lord. And though, again, I believe that, you know, they're, they're this example. They're set there, a purpose, I believe, for Zedekiah to look at and see, this is what obedience looks like, pal. Maybe you're living a life and you haven't been that obedient, you know, and, and you, you're, you're looking out there and you say, man, I'm just constantly blowing it. 
you're probably hanging out with the wrong crowd. You ever notice that every time that you blow it, you're hanging out with the wrong crowd. You start talking like a sailor. You start drinking like a fish or whatever the case may be. You know, you start carousing around or thinking or whatever the, the situation is. Why? Because we do these things when we're, when we're not determined. We're not so set on this. These guys were set on this stuff and, and, and they just said, you know what? They were this example. Look at verse 12. The example that God points out. He says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, will you not receive instructions to obey my word, says the Lord? The word of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, uh, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, uh, are performed. For to this day they drink none and obey their father's command, commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, yet you did not obey me. And so the reality is this. Look at these guys, how they're walking with you. And they're, they're walking and they're walking out to the vow that they made to their father. They're sticking to it. But you? I mean, listen, let's just look at this for a second. We're the body of Christ. We are the church. We belong to Christ. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit. He's washed us from a life. That old life is an old life and we have a new life we're to live and we're to walk in the newness of that life. We walk in the newness of that life and we should be just even better than the Rechabites because we're saved by grace and we're looking at this thing and we're saying, you know what, that Jesus is all I want. He's my answer in life. He's my portion in life. I don't need anything else. But, but what happens here is you see that the, the, this is the reality. The Rechabites were told... Uh, Long ago, and they were encouraged in a certain way, and they stuck to it. They just stuck to it. But here, the people of Judah, who constantly had God's word being brought out, they weren't listening. And to me, it's this thing about saying, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. We should live the church. We have God's word, and it's how we respond to his word. I think it's one of the biggest things that we need to do. The biggest thing I need to do. I'm praying that for myself daily. Lord, help me to respond to your word. I don't want to be just teach it. I want to respond to it. I want it to grow me. I want it to convict me. I want it to change me. I, I, this is what I want. I, I don't want to just be a guy who gets up here, think I have it all together, and then just give it out there. I, don't, I think anybody that thinks they start to have, think they have it all together, they're fooling you, and they're a liar. God's the only one that has it all together. And we have it all together as we go to God. But we got to do that. We got to have ears open to hear him. Look at verse 15. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them, then you will dwell in the land which I have given to you and, and your fathers, but you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, uh, the son of Rechab, have performed the commandments of their fathers, which he commanded them, but this people, uh, this people has not obeyed me. So again, there's that contrast. The Rechabites were living in agreement to an imperfect leader, and here they had a perfect, the true and living God, uh, Judah and King Zedekiah, and they weren't listening. It's embarrassing. That's what it is. 
But there's a couple of things that he points out here that are important for the backslider in particular. He says, turn. He says, you know, turn now, everyone, turn. Don't try and think that you can play with the world and, and think, well, I'll do that. Well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll go on Sunday. No, you go to Jesus today. You ain't never going to go to church on Sunday if you don't mean to come to Jesus today. Turn. Turn from what has caused you to stray. Turn. You know, God has the power. This is it's amazing. God has the power to save and to cleanse the, the filthiest sinner. I didn't know how I was going to get cleaned up off drugs, alcohol. But when, when God came into my life, it was like I just had to trust him with it. Just trust him. That's faith. Trust him with it. And just turn away from that lifestyle. And then amend your ways. So amend, he says, amend your doings. You know what that means? It means like to set well or set your life back in the direction it should be going. So right the ship. What's the direction you should be going that you haven't been going? And then he says, do not go after or change direction. Don't hang out with the bad company. Don't go after those balls. Don't go after those people. Don't go after those things. First Thessalonians, Paul said uh, in chapter 1, verse 9, he said, For they themselves, speaking of the people, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, how you turn to God from idols. This is what they were doing, to serve the living and true God. This is exactly what, what it looks like. You turn to God, turn from that old life. The cross before me, the world behind me, there's no turning back. The problem is we turn back. The problem is we're like Lot's wife. We want to check out, man, what's my house? What's my house like? Maybe my house will be spared. Maybe my life isn't that bad or wasn't that bad. Listen, we can have a desire to do the right thing all day long, but we have to put feet to our faith and walk it out. Somebody once said that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You see, it has to come from a determined heart and a mind that's set on wanting to obey. For life, in general, many Christians fall in a cycle of disobedience because their hearts aren't set on the things of the Lord. It's like the Egyptians, they leave Egypt, but they have too much of Egypt in their lives. Everything that comes out of them is Egyptian. You know, oh, the leek, the onions, the greatness that we had, the provisions that we had. You fool, you were making bricks without straw. You forget about that stuff. It was hot. You were getting whooped, beat up. Oh, we, oh no, yeah, but the leeks on you, but the food, the delicacies, the number five special, you know. We think all these things are great. You see, a life of a Christian, when we find ourselves living in these cycles, we go down in this disobedience of our hearts. It's a heart check. Or our hearts, there's no room for the word. We're not in the Word. There's no room for the Word. We have to have room for the Word of God in our lives. That's going to change us. And going back to Daniel, he purposed the things in his life. He purposed the things in his heart to do. And because of their disobedience, they weren't going to escape the troubles. Look at verse 17. Therefore, the, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem all the doom that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them but they had not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. I wonder how many people God is calling right now. What's calling you? Hello? Come back to me. Come back, George. Come back. 
Come back, Bill, whoever, Sandy, come back. This is what God wants. He's calling people to him today. It's like, come on, people, get ready. Jesus is coming to take from the world his own. Let's do this. Let's get right with Jesus. And, and I fear for the person who is closed from hearing the Lord. He's just closed off. You see, they've hardened their hearts and in no way, shape, or form are they ready to receive when we need to be ready to receive from the Lord. God is calling. But are our hearts open? Look, at if we look just like we did or close like we did when we've been walking with the Lord for 15 years and we look like that same person, nobody recognizes the change that's been made. Well, that's like looking in the mirror. We need help. God, help me. Help me. If I'm that angry old cuss or that lying old dude or whatever the case may be, I need help. Help me, Lord, right? And we, we you know, we're going to receive that to which we sown. Let's close it off, verse 18. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, because you have obeyed the commandments of Jonadab your father and have kept his precepts and have done according to all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of uh, Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, uh, shall not lack a man to stand before me forever. I would rather have the blessings forever being blessed from the Lord than a temporal blessing that comes with satisfying the flesh here on earth. This is their reward. The phrase, stand before me, people think, well, they're going to be in the temple. No, they're not going to be. I don't believe that's the case. I think it rather has this meaning that they'll serve him forever. They'll be with him. They'll have access to him. It's like you and I. It's the promise. What a great promise that is. A promise. You think about, you know, the, the blessing of having our children walking with God. Having them walk with God when they see us walking with God. He's, God's given us two years. Two years to hear what it is he's speaking to our hearts about. And we just need to be men and women with open ears saying, God, I just want to follow. God, what are you speaking to my heart about? I know I want to get back to church. I know these, I, I get it. I long to be in fellowship with every last one of you. But what we have to do is we have to be back in his word and say, God, find, let me, let me make, let me take inventory and make room in my heart so that I can respond to your word, that I can respond thereof and grow and be changed by your power into your image for your glory. Well, Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord. We look forward to all that you do. And Lord, for any who may be out there. We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.